Oh yes, so good to be together again. Um, I just love our church. I love your resilience. I love your passion for the Word of God. I love your passion for gathering together. Nothing can stop us from gathering together and being a healthy local community. And, you know, I was thinking about it this morning, just how excited I am um, that even now, though we are online these next couple of weeks, it's not in vain. There's, there's, there's at least, it feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, for those of you who might have missed the announcement last week, we have officially this last week put in an offer on a building. So be praying for that. Be praying with us. Be praying for that. Um, we have officially submitted our offer for the purchase of a church just a couple minutes up the road from where we're meeting. And I'm believing for, um, again, there's, there's a few miracles that need to take place for that to become a reality. But I feel like God's in it and God's on our side. And, he, and here's the reality, like those Hebrew boys, even if it's not this one, I tell you what, my faith has been stirred. I tell you what, my, 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 uh, my, my, my passion, my zeal, my expectation for the future of our church has not diminished, but it's only continued to increase. You know, I was uh, even thinking about this passage, um, even just as I was preparing for today uh, to speak, and I just couldn't, I, I felt like Jeremiah, there's this passage, Jeremiah, verse 15 to 16, it says this, that your words are what sustain me. They are food to my hungry soul. They bring joy to my sorrowing heart and they delight me. It is your word, O oh Lord. It is your word, O oh Lord. And I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I have been deeply deeply encouraged by our worship. I've been deeply encouraged by what God is doing in our church. But more than anything, I have been deeply, deeply encouraged by the word of God over the last couple of weeks. I, I, I don't know if you if you sense it, but in my spirit uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've just, I've just had this expectation, this belief that for us over the next, I don't know how long, that we were entering into miracle season as a church. Miracles for your finances, miracles for your children, miracles for your marriages, miracles in your workplaces, miracles when it comes to family, miracles into every space of life, miracles for us as a church in the acquisition of property, in the, in the advancement of the local church, miracles when it comes to healing, miracles when it comes to, again, the promises and plans for God over you. I have just been stirred. I, you know, it's funny, over the last couple of weeks, even as, as I've been preaching, yes, I've been preaching for you and to you, but let me tell you something, church, I've been speaking to myself. The Word of God has truly been ministering to me as much as it's ministering to you. And, and, and uh, you know, I talked about even just the prompt, the promises of God, talking about and singing about the God who is able. He is more than able. Um, my God, I tell you what, I could bust out a song right now, but I'm going to contain myself. And even just think about the God uh, 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 who who fulfills his promises, the God who's faithful, the God who goes ahead of us, the God who provides and the God who sustains. I'm telling you, I am fired up to preach this morning. And as I was thinking about what to continue to preach about over the next couple of weeks, I just couldn't shake the fact that I need to preach on faith. I need to preach on faith. I need to preach on miracles. I need to preach on the promises of God to stir both your faith and ours collectively as a church on all that's ahead of us and what God can do. And as I was thinking about that, I couldn't walk too far away in scripture from Ziklag. We're going we're gonna to be looking at Ziklag, which is this beautiful town um, on, the, uh, on the southern part of uh, this territory that was given to the tribe of Judah. And, um, and, and I was looking at Ziklag and the story surrounding Ziklag. It's a pretty significant story in the Bible. And as, and as I was looking at Ziklag, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't help again, but again, remind myself and remind you of just how powerful the word of God is and just how much it is there is this thread whose name is Jesus who runs all the way from the beginning in Genesis who threads himself through the Old Testament to the New Testament all the way to Revelation and how you know as I was thinking about it you think through the significance of the 400 years that the people of God's been in Israel in, in Egypt um, and, and it took 400 years and God came through and delivered them and then I think through even the 400 years of silence from the end of Malachi end of the Old Testament into the New Testament where Jesus shows up on the scene to deliver his people and to bring us life and life to the and much can be said of Ziklag. Ziklag, if you know a little bit about your, your history, Ziklag was this region that, again, as I mentioned, uh, it, it, some scholars believe it's like 450 years, about 450 years plus, some believe, or some less, but give or take four centuries 
uh, it had been four centuries since the people of God, the Israelites, had uh, conquered Jericho under Joshua's rule. And they enter into the promised land and God begins to tell them, hey, here are the places that I've given to you as my people. Here's a promise I've given to you, the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Simeon. God begins to allot territories in the promised land to the different tribes of Israel. It is his promise. It was his word spoken to his people. But what ends up happening in places like Ziklag and a few other regions end up not being able to be inhabited yet by the people of God. Uh, the Israelites get conquered in different battles. They've not yet uh, conquered those territories that were under Philistine rule. And Ziklag was one of those regions that was promised to the tribe of Judah. But 400 years later, at the very minimum, 400 years later, they find themselves as the people of God, still not yet inhabiting a promise that was given to by God. And as I began to read the story, I thought, this is a story for us. This is a story for our church. This is a story for your life. This is a story for your family. And it encouraged me as I began to look at how God orchestrates where we jump in. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel for the next couple of weeks together, looking at Ziglag. As I read the story about all that transpires in and around Ziglag and what happens in it, I tell you what, it stirred me. It excited me. It, 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 it got me again all excited about reminding myself that if God has given a promise, it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter how dire the situation looks. It doesn't matter how devastating it looks. It doesn't matter how difficult it looks to conquer. If God has spoken it, if God has given it to us, if God has given us that promise, if God has put it in our spirit, then let me tell you something, it is yours to take hold of. And Ziglag is a picture, I believe, not just for our individual lives, not just for our church, but as a picture of the miracle working and the promise fulfilling God that we serve. See, what, what has happened is that Ziglag has found as though it, though it was a promise given to the tribe of Judah, has, is now a territory. It is an inheritance of the people of God found in enemy, enemy territory. It is under enemy occupation under the Philistines. And in fact, to take matters worse, it is not just in Philistine territory. In fact, it is in the territory where Goliath was defeated by David. So you talk about a place that's got a bone to pick with the people of God. That was the region under a king whose name was um, Akish. And um, so if ever there was a time it looked like that land, that promise was not going to be fulfilled, it was this time in history. It were, and, and again, it's not just about its location and, and it being under enemy occupation. It's the fact that it's come at a time where we pick up the story where the Israelites backs against the wall. They are surrounded by their enemies. They're on the verge of collapse. They are being led by Saul, a king who has been abandoned and again forsaken by God because of his disobedience. And you talk about the Israelite story at this time in history, no one would have ever seen and no one could have ever believed that this promise, Ziglag, promised the tribe of Judah, a significant tribe in the in the in the in this in this uh, Christian story, the tribe that belonged to David, the tribe that belonged to Solomon, and the tribe that belonged to our Lord Jesus. No one would have ever written or believed it could be true that at this moment in history that the promise would be delivered into the hands of God's people. And I'm telling you what, when I read that, I got giddy. I know we're online this morning, but I'm going to preach like I feel it, and I'm going to preach like we're in the room together because I want to stir your faith, and I want to encourage you this morning that it may not look like the opportune moment for you to experience your miracle. It may not look like the opportune moment for you to step into the promises of God. You may have waited five years. You may have waited 10 years. You may have waited 10, 20 years for the things that God has put in your heart to come to fruition. And you look around your circumstance, you're sitting there going, ah, if ever there was a time it looked impossible, nothing, nothing looks as, as impossible as it does right now. This is the least opportune time. This is the least exciting time. This is the least moment in history in my life where it feels like we could get the breakthrough we believe. But let me tell you something, it's in that very moment, it's in that very season of your life that you ought to be encouraged by the story of Ziglag that God can bring to can, can bring into your life and God can bring breakthrough and God can bring the fulfillment of promise in the very moment that you thought it was the most impossible because our God specializes in impossible situations. It's miracle season, baby. And let me tell you what, and funny enough, it, the, the, the fulfillment of this, prof, this promise to the tribe of Judah comes through David, who again, you know, it doesn't come to David. It doesn't come through David in a time in his life 
where he has everything figured out. It doesn't come through David in a time where he is at his the pinnacle of his kingship. It comes at the height of his faith. It comes at the best of times for him. No, the promise is fulfilled through David. My God, watch this. In a time where he is a he is a uh, uh, what's the word? A fugitive on the run from Saul, who has been trying to take his life. In fact, uh, David has spent much of the past decade running from Saul, who has tried to take his life, who has been tormented. And, and David, time and time again, has narrowly escaped with his life. Um, and, and, and he gets to a point just before the breakthrough in Ziklag comes in, he has one more encounter with Saul that he realizes, he gets to this point realizing, you can read all this in, uh, in 1 Samuel from, verse 25, from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 30. But he gets to this point where he realizes, I can no longer stay with my people. I can no longer stay in Israel because it is only a matter of time before I lose my life. So he finds himself on the run as a fugitive and he decides that the best place he can go is to go into the enemy's camp. And this is why I thought of Ziglag and the story. Because let me tell you something, as I, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and it has stuck with me. I've not been able to shake it. I've not been able to get rid of it. I've not been able to stop thinking about it. That we serve a God who prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. I don't know what that did for you, but let me tell you something. It did wonders in me. It stirred me to believe that no situation is beyond the grasp of our God. That there is no dire situation. There is no sin too great. There is no obstacle too great. There is no mountain too high. There is no, again, for those of you believe in financial breakthrough, there is no debt too great. For those of you who believe for healing, there is no sickness too devastating that our God cannot intervene because our God, He is with you in the middle of your valley, in the middle of your hardship, in the middle of that family situation that you just can't, you just can't wrap your head around and you have tried everything you can to bring breakthrough, but you don't know what else to do. He's in the middle of that situation that is outside of your control. I know some of the people in our own congregation right now are in the middle of situations that didn't ask for, that had nothing to do with, and you have found yourself in a situation where your foundations are being rocked, where your faith is being rocked, where you are doubting, you lie awake at night worrying about what tomorrow might bring, and it wasn't any fault of your own. Your life was just simply collateral. But let me tell you something, it's in that place that you can still believe that though you are surrounded, that our God will create and build a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And that's exactly what happens with David's life. He realizes that he needs to flee, and he cries out to God for protection, but he ends up going to the Philistines territory and meets a king, the king um, in this region. I need to figure out, let me go back here, at, at the first Samuel chapter 26. Um, um, let me, I need, I need to tell you what the region was um, just because I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to give you uh, incorrect literature. Um, Akish, um, let's go with David and thought to himself. So yeah, this is where we pick up first uh, Samuel chapter 27. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape the land, of, escape to the land of the Philistines. He is safer in enemy, enemy territory. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and 600 other men who left with him went over to Achish, son of Moab, king of Gath. Gath is where Goliath died. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man he had his family with him, and David also had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. And, um, and, in, and in part it worked, because it says this, when Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, Saul no longer searched for him because Saul believed that, that David's life would end in Philistine camp because again, David would have been a wanted man. David was not the most popular man, particularly in Gath, where he had just defeated uh, Goliath not too many years prior. But anyway, because the, the mm, I want to preach it so bad, because the hand of God was on David, because of the hand of the Lord on him, he finds favor in this region where it should have been hostile. He finds favor in enemy territory. And let me tell you something, I've, been, I've had this word, I remember, I don't know who I was talking to a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I think about it in Chloe, I was talking to her about, we are the people of God. I've just had this revelation and this line has gone through my head over and over and over again. We are the people of God. That means something. We are the people of God. That comes with a promise. That comes with a measure of authority. That comes with a measure of covering. That comes with a measure of confidence. That comes with a grace. That comes with joy. That comes with peace. 
It means something to be the people of God. I know we live in a secular society right now. I know we're living in a time where people couldn't care less, who calls themselves Christians, who calls themselves what. But let me tell you something to us who call ourselves Christians. We are the people of God. And regardless of what our society would tell you, it still means something to be called the people of God. Because as long as we're the people of God, we have the hand of God in our lives. And we know that he goes ahead of us. He goes before us. He sends his angels to, angels to encamp around us. And as I mentioned again, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And so David finds favor in places he has no business finding favor in. And I'm believing that for some of you in Jesus' name. That in your workplaces, though that some of you I know have been having a hard time at your workplaces, you will find favor with people who you should have no favor with. You will find favor in the most hostile of environments. You will find favor in places you have no right being. You will find favor in places where really you should be ostracized. And it's because you are the people of God. It still means something to be counted amongst the people of God. And so anyway, he goes into this place and he finds favor with the Kish, the king of Gath. And as he uh, as stays there for a couple, uh, a couple years, he begins to ask this king, hey, could we have a place of our own so that we don't have to live here in this capital city with you? And again, because he has found favor because of God's hand in his life, much like Luke 2.52, which I pray over every one of you and I pray over every one of your children, that you would grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor both with God and man. Because without the favor of God, without the hand of God, without the grace of God, what do we have? Let that be our highest and greatest pursuit. In fact, as we put in the bid last week and we made our offer, I wrote in the cover letter, may we find favor in your eyes and may we find favor in the eyes of God as they would look at our application. And though we are an outside shot, though we are an outside chance, though we have no business putting in our offer in a place like that, I'm still holding on to the promises that as long as I'm the people of God, that we can find favor in places we don't belong and find breakthrough in places that seemed impossible and see the miraculous happening through us because it still means something to be his children in Jesus' name. And I don't know who needs to hear this. I know this was for somebody. I don't know who needs to hear this, but I want you to hear me loud and clear. You can find joy and peace and a belief for miracles because you are a child of the living God who still does miracles, who still heals, who still brings breakthrough in Jesus' name. Anyway, I'm just laying the groundwork. So anyway, Akish decides, yes, we will give you Ziglag. Oh my God, when I read that, the light bulbs came on. I thought, this is the fulfillment of the promise at the most inopportune time. The God that we serve, if he has spoken a word, if he has spoken a promise, he will always be faithful to bring it to completion. The work that he has begun in us through Christ Jesus, he is faithful to bring to pass. And though it took 400 years, our God never forgot. And he gave Ziglag to David, who, if you know anything about genealogy, David is a member of the tribe of Judah. And my God, this is the exciting part of scripture that it did not look at any point, if I were writing this as a historian, that this was the moment that Judah would reclaim the promise of God. But I love that God did it in this time in history anyway, because no one else can take the glory. And I believe that's the story of Sons City Church, that we're gonna step into places, we're gonna step into territories, we're gonna step into buildings, we're gonna see favor and finances and miracles come through the life of our church, and I can tell you what, already our story, where we are in our story right now, the lives changed already. The things that have taken place in our community already, without a permanent building, it can, the glory can only go to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, as stressful as it's been, I don't want to live my life any other way. Lord, would you continue to use our church miraculously like you are, that anyone who looks at our story, there is no network, there is no partner, there is no single donor, there is no... Um, there is no government official, there is no a scholar, there's no great leader in our community, uh, in our world, who could take the credit for everything God has done and is continuing to do through Social City Church. It is only by His grace, it is only by His tender mercies, it is only by His favor and goodness and mercies in Jesus' name that we have what we have and we continue to have it. To Him be the glory now and forevermore in Jesus' name, amen. And I pray that for your life. 
And, and, and specifically, specifically for those of you who feel like you have never been further from the breakthrough you dreamed of and prayed for, who feel like you've never been further from the promise that God had spoken to you, may you be encouraged right now by the story of Ziglag that it can happen in a single moment and only God would get all the glory in Jesus' name. So they move into Ziglag. And that's what I mean. And, and as I'm thinking of this, I'm going, I'm talking on faith in the next couple of weeks. And I, and I wanted to, to, to build it on, a, on, on the Bible because I want to preach on faith, not the kind of faith that makes you feel good and sounds good and it's promises that are empty. But I want to, I want to again preach on faith that's granted in a word, that's granted in a promise. You know, oftentimes when you, when you talk to people who start churches or and people start asking about what's the vision for Soul City Church? What do you see for it? I have learned as I've matured as a leader, as a person, that I only declare about the vision of our church, what God has spoken to me, what I felt God put on our hearts, what is granted in scripture and what is granted in a promise and word from the Lord. Not what I want, not what I, not what I aspire for, not what I desire out of selfish ambition, but only that which the Lord has spoken. And I tell you what, we are already seeing it. When you build your faith and you build your future and you build your expectation on a word, on the word, and the promises of God, you will never be found wanting and you'll never be disappointed. I can tell you something from the outside. You know, our church, it has been a rocky, rocky journey. No building online one week, three weeks here, two weeks there. But let me tell you something, because we have built our faith and expectation of what God has spoken, we have not been disappointed. Because when God asked us to start this church, when God asked us to begin this thing and move all the way from Australia to here to start this church, I tell you what, there were things he spoke to us. He said, I want you to build a life-giving church. I want you to build a church that knows how to worship. You're going to build a church that knows how to pray. You're going to build a church that knows and loves the word of God. You're going to build a church that, that has a genuine fear for the Lord. You're going to build a church that has healthy marriages. You're going to build a church that genuinely, uh, again, uh, has... has um, an impact in a local context. And let me tell you something, we are seeing that through and through. We have some of the finest people in our church who love the word, who love to worship, who love to pray. We have already seen, again, it was a soul winning church. We've already seen people give their lives to Jesus in our church from our inception. So we are seeing it. And so this is why we don't live in disappointment. And if I could teach you anything this morning, is this, make sure to build your faith and to build your expectation on, and let them be built upon and grounded upon the word of God and the promise of God. And in that space, you'll never live disappointed because you know, if it's from him, he's faithful to bring it to pass. But if it's from me, then you're out here grasping in the wind and you'll always come up short and live bitter and disappointed in Jesus' name. But anyway, coming back to scripture. So as I was reading the story about Ziglag, I got all stirred about seeing how God fulfilled the promise to the tribe of Judah as now Ziglag is now in, in, the, in the, uh, a, um, the grasp and, and in the possession of people of the tribe of Judah under King David. Um, but as I got reading more about the story where our main passage is from, 1 Samuel chapter 30, we're going to read from verse 1 all the way through verse 6. As I got reading again more of the story, I quickly pivoted that this wasn't just going to be a message that would make you feel good and encourage you about the promises of God. It was a message that was going to give you the tools you need and give you revelation again of what it looks like to take hold of the promises of God and what it looks like to be a miracle-believing church. And here's the title of the message. It's this, we have been pressed for promise. Pressed for promise. Why do I say that? Because as I'm looking at the story of Ziglag, and as I look at the story in Egypt, as I look at the story of the life of Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Abraham and all the heroes of faith, as I look at even the story of the gospel, the New Testament, the new covenant and the story in the book of Acts and the many heroes of faith, I have come to believe and come to a mind of really this, that no promise of God comes without pressing. No promise of God comes without pressing. And so that's what I want to talk on this morning, that we are pressed for promise. And this is where we pick up the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 to 6. It says this, David and his men reached Ziglag. In fact, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. There's so much in here. Um, uh, but you know what? I'm going to keep going and I'll, I'll circle back. We're going to be living here for the next couple of weeks anyway. There's so much in the story that we can unpack together. But it says this, David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag and burnt it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. 
When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had also been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were now talking of stoning him, each one bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Other versions said this, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You know, as you read the story of what ends up happening and how we arrive at this point, so David is given Ziglag by the king Akish. They, they inhabit that space, they live there, and they begin to grow in number. They are, they are fruitful, they multiply. And many of the defectors from Israel who now realize that God has forsaken Saul decide to abandon and defect from living with the rest of the Israelites and begin to come and work with and fight with David in Ziglag. So Ziglag becomes the stronghold. Ziglag becomes this place of flourishing for the people of God. Ziglag becomes this place where David begins to build up his army and sure up his strength and sure up his position as a major force not to be reckoned with. In fact, David takes many trips and begins to pillage all the neighboring areas and he finds favor in God's eyes and they don't lose a battle and begin to be known as David's mighty men. These 600 men begin to be known as David's mighty men. Some of the some of the wisest, some of the strongest, some of the most athletic, some of the most gifted warriors of the land defected from Israel now build this community in Ziglag. How beautiful is that picture that God would allow them to build this fortified, this flourishing, this um, this overflowing, this 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 uh, this, this I just there's so many verbs and, and I could think of adjectives to think about to describe this place. But just I want you to picture it. This abundant space in Ziglag in the middle of Philistine enemy territory. Isn't that our God? I truly am believing that for our church and believing that for you individually. That you would look at your life and people would look at your life and begin to marvel at the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the faithfulness of our God. That you would have an abundant, a fruitful, a flourishing an extravagant and an abundant life in the middle of, again, surrounded by devastation, by enemies and those who want to bring you harm. But your life is kept. Your promise is kept. Your health is kept. Your children are kept. Your inheritance is kept. Your legacy is kept. Your promise is kept because God is with you and we are the people of God. Anyway, so what ends up happening is that the Philistines decide there's a moment here to go attack Saul and the Israelites. The Israelites, as I mentioned, their backs are against the wall. God has abandoned Saul because he no longer serves him. And so the Philistines, amongst other kings, go to war against Israel. And the Kish, the king who gave David Ziglag, says, hey, you need to come fight with us, uh, you and your mighty men, because David and his, and his crew in Ziglag have become a formidable force. So much so that Kish, the Philistines, want David to come fight with them. So David says, I will, because again, David serves one man. He doesn't serve Saul. He's not loyal to Saul. He's loyal to God. And unless you rock with my God, I don't rock with you. That's what David says. He goes, I'll come fight with you against those who are against my God. So David joins and his mighty men join with the quiche and they head over to the battlefront. And what ends up happening is as they get to the battlefront, they leave zigzag, Ziglag, not zigzag. <laughs> they leave Ziglag and go to the battlefront. And as they get to the battlefront, uh, the rest of the Philistine army, Turn into a key, the king of Gath, Akish, and go, ah, we don't want those Hebrew boys fighting with us because we don't know where their loyalties lie. And Akish says, hey, David and his men have, since they've been with us, over a year and a half having been with us, they've been faithful, they've been loyal, they've done nothing to make us believe that they're against us. And But anyway, um, the, the Philistine leaders say, no, we don't want them to fight with us, and they send them back home. And, and let me tell you something, I, need, I, need, I can't get ahead of myself. Let me keep going with the story and I'll tell you what the revelation I found in this. Anyway, so David and his men, they, did, they wake up early the next morning to head back to Ziglag. And that's where we, we pick up the story. As they are on their way back from Ziglag, they get back to Ziglag um, from the battlefront lines and they realize that their home has been ravaged and pillaged by the, by the, um, um, uh, the Amalekites. And they've set on fire their property. They've taken their wives and children. It is pure devastation. 
And as I was reading the story, I thought to myself, isn't it like God? The goodness of God. Because if you look at the timing, if you read a little bit on the story in 1 Samuel chapter 31, if you keep going on the story, if you look at the timing of when the Amalekites were raiding Ziglag, it was the exact same time, the exact day, when they were about to embark on a battle in one place. And they were devastated they couldn't fight. They were ready to go to war. They were urging the leaders to let them fight with them. But God closed the door. And God was closing the door because God knew that if they had begun that war, then everything they built in Ziglag was going to be destroyed. And, and all that they had been taken from in Ziglag was going to be well outside of the ability of being recouped. So God closes the door on this battle to send them back home, to get back home in time to be able to pursue the Amalekites and recoup what they have stolen. And I read that and thought to myself, how many times has God closed the door? How many times have we been disappointed? How many tears have we shed over things that we thought we had lost? How many times have we shed tears and cried out at God and been mad at him and cast him out and done all sorts of foolish things because we didn't get what we thought we wanted? We didn't get things the way we wanted them to go. Well, Lord, we've come all this way. You, we, we were doing right by you. We've come all this way to defend your honor. We travel with the Philistines to go fight with them. And now we can't get it. And I can imagine those 600 you know, uh, warriors who were ready to fight, ready to go for it. On their three-day journey back home, it took them three days, three-day journey back home. Would have been grumbling, would have been frustrated, would have been angry, would have been, again, just fuming at the reality that, that what they thought they could do, now they could not do. And I thought this is a picture of us sometimes. We grumble, we cry, we doubt God, we get frustrated, we wanna walk away because things that we wanted and things that we thought we needed didn't come out the way we wanted to. But sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, if a door is closed, it is for your own good. And it, it was the kindness of God to close that door. And I wanna encourage somebody this morning that you need to recognize that even if you don't see it yet, there will come a time in your life where you will see that it was the kindness of God to close that door. It was the kindness of God to pull you out of that relationship. It was the kindness of God to move you out of that neighborhood. It was the kindness of God to ask you to take that job. It was the kindness of God to close that particular opportunity. It was the kindness of God when he called you to drop that accountant who was causing you to become shady with your finances. It was the kindness of God who told you not to take that loan, which meant you couldn't go further ahead in your businesses or go further ahead when it comes to acquisition of property. It was the kindness, I didn't even think of some of our board members. We have a board member who it was the kindness of God who didn't take a particular job opportunity that would have made her one of the wealthiest women in this country. But she closed that and God closed that door and told her not to walk through that door. And it was a year and a half later, two years later, where she realized that that closed door was the kindness of God because that company stopped tanked and plummeted to nothing, lost billions of dollars in six months. And that would have been her story. And I'll tell you what now, because she left when she did, the doors had opened, the, the avenues had let her down, the roads had took her now, it wasn't always easy. But now in hindsight, she can tell that what she was once crying over, that what she was once praying over, that once she was once frustrated over, is now a, a picture of the kindness and the goodness of God. She's now praising God for a closed door. I think we need to be mature enough as believers to begin to praise God for closed doors. We need to mature and grow up a little bit and realize that if, if a door is shut, it wasn't for me anyway. Because I have to believe that my God is sovereign enough. My God is big enough. My God is powerful enough. My God is, is grace-filled enough. And my God loves me enough that if that door was for me, that if up that opportunity was for me, that if that person was for me, if that job was for me, and in the context of our church, if that building is for me, then nothing can get in the way of that. If it is for me, and it is willed for me by our God, then it will come to pass. And if I don't get it, if I don't have it, if it's not in my life right now, if it didn't come to me like I wanted it to come to me, if it didn't open up the way I thought it would open up, if I didn't get what I believed for, if I didn't get what I prayed for, then let me tell you something, baby, it wasn't for you. And I'm gonna, I need us to mature and grow up a little bit as believers and begin to thank God for opportunities and for doors that have closed. Because if, it, if, if the door is closed, it wasn't for me. And, and either God is protecting me from something that could bring me great harm, or he's, or he's preparing me for something that's even better than what I thought I wanted. I, I wish I could get somebody who could testify to the times in their life where they could look back and begin to thank God in advance and thank God now in hindsight 
that he closed those doors, that he said no to those things, and he closed those opportunities because it would have wrecked your life, it would have wrecked your marriage, it would have wrecked your faith, it would have wrecked your children's lives, it would have put you in a position now that you couldn't get out of. I thank God for closed doors. Woo! It takes another kind of faith to not just praise God for the, for, for the for answered prayer. It's one thing to praise God for answered prayer. It's another thing to praise God for, for, for a blessings upon blessings. But my God, it's another kind of faith when you start to thank God for closed doors. When you start to thank God for every time he said no. Because what do I know? What, who, what did he just save me from? Woo, my God, this is exciting. I'm out here getting giddy all by myself filming this message. Oh my Lord. I thank God for the ones that got away. I thank God for the closed doors. Because in the context of David and, and, and the 600 men, had they not left and had God had not caused them to turn around when they did, they would have never recouped and never gotten back in time to Ziggler to be able to recoup and to restore that which had been taken from them. My Lord! And, and again, sometimes we find ourselves like, I don't know how long I've been preaching for, you're going to be here all day, Lord Jesus. Um, um, but anyway, if you look again, uh, you know, when you read the story and you look in, in 1 Samuel 30, you're kind of going, well, hold on. God gave them the promise. Why is now everything falling apart? Why have they now been ravaged? Why have their towns been burnt? Why have their children been taken? Because let me tell you something. If you look a little bit, if you do a bit of a word study, ziglag, the word ziglag, if you break it down to its root verb in the Hebrew language, the word ziglag means to be pressed. Woo! My God, there is so much in the Bible, church. I, I, I just don't know how to say any other way. I don't know how to encourage you any other way than to tell you, do not waste a single day of your life without getting in the word of God. There is so much in here. There is so, there was so much richness in it. And you should know how rich the Bible is because we have been reading these scriptures. We have been living in the Bible. It's many decades upon decades, centuries upon centuries of believers have been chewing from and building their lives on the very same words that you and I are chewing from right now in 2023. And if that doesn't tell you how potent, how alive, how living and active the Bible is, I don't know what else will. This book will sustain you for the for your entirety of life. You will get to your 70s and your 80s having read this book front to back, back to front, chronologically, different versions, different interpretations, and you would still not be able to understand the fullness of what is found in these pages. That's how rich the Bible is. That's how alive the Word of God is. And so my God, please continue to fall more in love with the Word. Continue to desire to grow in, in, in your Bible knowledge. In fact, I'm so passionate about this. I've been waiting for us to secure a building for us to start Wednesday night Bible study. Yes, we're going to do it. Like the old church, we're going to start a Wednesday night Bible study. But um, you know what? I'm getting to the point of going, you know what? Much like our calling, I'm not going to wait for somebody to validate what I know God's called me to. I'm not going to wait for somebody to give me permission to what God has called me and grifted me and graced me to do. In the same way, I, am, I have been foolish in waiting for us to secure a building before we start a Wednesday night Bible study. We are going to pick it up. In just a few short weeks, we're going to get our act together, get our ducks in a row, and, I'm gonna, and we're going to start Wednesday night Bible study um, together as a church. And what, if we don't have a building yet, we'll do it in our home and we'll do it in multiple homes and we'll film it and we'll get it together and get it to you. But we're going to go Bible study. I want a church who knows how to dissect the word of God because you would miss it. Ziglag means to be pressed. It means to press to see what comes out of you. That's what Ziglag means. The promise does not come without pressing. And this is not just true in Ziglag. It's not an isolated incident. It's true of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he stepped into his calling, as he, as he awakened himself to ministry at the age of 30 and began his ministry, he is first baptized and then he's sent into the wilderness and then he goes about his ministry journey. But before the fulfillment of promise, the promise being the cross, before the promise of the cross, what does Christ find himself in? He finds himself in the garden of Gethsemane. What does Gethsemane mean? Gethsemane literally means the oil press. It is where we are pressed. Our Lord Jesus Christ was pressed for the promise. Why was he pressed? Because when you are pressed, to be pressed is to come into synchronicity, is to become synchronized. You become one with him. His will becomes your will and your will becomes his will. In Jesus' name, you work together. You synchronize yourself. You died in the flesh. It's a test to see where your sustenance comes from. It's a test to see where your, where your foundation is built upon. It's a test to see what you've built your faith on. It's a test to see what has grounded you. It's a test to see whether you are still a fleshly being or you live by the spirit. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ is pressed. 
and we are pressed to see what comes out of us. And I love that when our Lord Jesus Christ was pressed, what came out was worship and what came out was submission. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He was pressed and in the pressing, an aroma of worship is released as we, as we submit and as we die to the flesh and we submit to the plans and promises of God and he begins to work in us and he begins to work through us for fulfillment of promise. Because here's what I've come to learn as I've walked with God. You cannot fulfill the promises of God in your life while you still live in the flesh. My God, you cannot fulfill the promises of God in your life while you are still self-sustainable, while you are still self-serving, while you are still independent. Because while you are still independent, while you still back your ability and you back your own mind and you back your own gifting and you back your own talent and you back your own bank account, you will never be able to fulfill the promise of God because the promise of God will crush you. Because the promises of God are fulfilled through the power of the Spirit at work in us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the fulfillment of promise of salvation, is the same spirit that lives in you. If Christ was pressed for promise, then baby girl, let me tell you, you will be pressed for promise. And I love that David teaches us a lesson here. As he is pressed, as he, he, as he is stepping into the fulfillment of a promise, and his, as he now can take hold of the promise of God, for not just himself, but the entire lineage of the tribe of Judah, he is pressed. And in the pressing, look what happens in the pressing. And the pressing in Ziglag is to reveal what's in you. It's to reveal what comes out of you. It's to reveal again where your strength comes from. And, and if you look at how the other men respond, the other men respond by what does it say in verse 5 or verse 4. So David and his men wept, therefore they were allowed until they had no strength left to weep. Verse 5, David's two wives have been captured. Now let's keep going. Here it is, verse 6. David was greatly distressed. Because the men were talking of stoning him. Hold on a minute. Look at what the pressing revealed in David's men. It revealed that their, that their faith, that their trust, that their hope, that their reasoning for moving from the rest of Israel and being defectors to coming to Ziglag was around David. So when things fall apart, who do they turn to? They turned to David. And when they realized that David couldn't do anything here, when they realized that David couldn't get them out of the situation, when they realized that David couldn't save their family, when they realized that David couldn't stop their city from being burned, and, and they realized that David couldn't get them out of it, then I talk of stoning him. Out of their bitterness in their hearts, the Bible says, they were greatly distressed, bitter at their hearts because of bitter in spirit because of their sons and daughters. They begin to talk of stoning David. And I thought to myself, isn't that something? And I think it's a, it's a great and poignant moment to ask yourself the question, why am I where I am? Why do I believe what I believe? Why have I made the decisions I made? For many of you, you have moved state, you have moved jobs, you have moved careers, you have moved uh, 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 locations, you have moved churches, and you ought to ask yourself the question, did I move out of selfish ambition? Did I move because I was swayed by a man? Or did I move in a word? Is my faith built on a word or is my faith built on hope that is not grounded in Christ Jesus? Because if your faith is not built on a promise, if your faith is not built on a word from God, if your faith is not built on the word of God, then when you go through the pressing to prepare you for the promise, babe, you'll be afraid of what comes out of you because now you'll start to blame everybody else. You'll blame the church. You'll blame your pastor. That's what I want you to call me pastor because I'm not your pastor. He's your pastor. So talk to him. Take it up with him. you blame your pastor. You'll blame your spouse. You'll blame your kids. You'll blame your job. You'll blame, you'll blame everything else. But never ask yourself the question, hold up. The pressing is a great revealer of what I have built the foundations of my life on. And, and I love that David, what does it say? In the pressing, David did what our Lord Jesus did. David withdrew. And it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David built his strength in the Lord, his God. What will the pressing reveal in you? Because if you want this to truly be a miracle season, if you truly want the breakthrough, if you truly want to take hold of the promises of God for your life and to truly live the life that God has for you, it does not come without pressing. So when the pressing comes, what will it reveal out of you? And if you can't truthfully say that the pressing takes me to the cross, the pressing takes me to my knees. The pressing allows me to encourage myself in the Lord. If the answer to you is anything other than those things, it's time to make a change. It's time again to get back into the Word. It's time again to reevaluate your foundations. It's time again to look at what your faith is built on. And if you don't have a Word, find a Word. And if you don't know what the Word is, get in it. If you don't know what it is, get on your knees. 
David encourages us, get on your knees, get in worship, get praying, get in healthy local church community and begin to seek God for a word that will sustain you. Because as I opened up today, it is the word of God that sustains us. It is the word of God that strengthens us. It's the word of God that, that brings us out of distress and heartache. Nothing else will do. If you are looking for me, or Kristen, or the rest of our team to bring you out of your dark valley, to bring you out of your hardship, to hold your hand to the promise. I cannot, I, my God, you might as well stone me. Like this, because we cannot do it for you. Only God and God alone can truly bring you into the promise that he has for your life. And this is why it's crucial to build the foundations of your faith on him and him alone. And, and if that's the case, you will build a life like David did, where you find your strength in the Lord as God. And because he withdrew and because he surrendered to his will, look what happens next. And this is the last verse I read for today is verse, uh, verse seven. Because he withdrew, he aligned himself. The pressing allowed himself to align himself to the will of God. And before he, he took revenge, before he made any decisions about what to do next. And I know some of you, there's so many of you in the valley of decision. So many of you are weighing up some big life decisions. So many of you are weighing up some big life transitions. So many of you are weighing up some major life things going on. And I encourage you, lean into the pressing. Don't run from the pressing. Because let me tell you what, it'll always come. Because you can't enter the promise without going through the pressing. So if you run from it now, you're just delaying the inevitable. You at some point have to be pressed so the Lord knows what comes out of you. That he can trust you with what he has for you. But anyway, come back to what I was saying. So many of you are in the valley decision right now. But can I encourage you, lean into the pressing and align yourself with God. And find yourself doing what David did. Do not make a decision. Do not act on anything, not just now, but for the rest of your days. Do it for your marriage. Do it in raising your children. Do it as you do. Do it on the mundane things like where you decide when your kids go to school. Decide where, even, where, even where you go to church for, for some of you who are watching online, people who are watching all over the world. Watching online. Decide about where you're going to go to church. Decide about what you'll do with this. Decide for those of you who are single about who you'll marry, about who you'll date, about what, you, about what job you'll take, about what promotion. Because you know what? Sometimes a promotion is not really a promotion. It can sometimes be the very thing that ruins your life. So I say this to go, get aligned. Lean into the pressing. Get synchronized to the will of God. Let it produce out of you a dependence and reliance on God. And be like David and strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. And do what David did. Verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord. David inquired. He didn't make a decision and ask God to bless it after the fact. He didn't make a decision and, 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 and not inquire of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord before he decided on what to do next. And he asked the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party who has taken over? Will I overtake them? Because unless you say yes, unless you say go, unless you say stay, unless you say whatever it is the Lord needs to say, I'm not doing a thing. Let us become a people who build our lives on the word of God and obedience to what God instructs. Because I guarantee you there were many in the camp who were burning, who wanted to go to fight. But David said, we won't go unless the Lord says we go. And there would have been some who would have argued, we just need to stay and consolidate and rebuild again. And he goes, we won't stay unless the Lord says to stay. We need to become the kind of people who make decisions based upon the promises and the word of God. And here's what God says. God answered and said, you will, he said, pursue them. God answers says, pursue them. And he says this, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And let me tell you something. We will continue on the story, but you already know how the story ends. Some of you are like me. You won't be able to wait. You go on and read the story. But you'll know that the way David then pursued the Amalekites, he didn't pursue them in, in his own strength. He didn't believe a victory in thin air, out of thin air, based on, on, on selfish ambition or the trust in his own skill set. He went in faith, in boldness, and in courage, knowing that they would succeed, knowing that they would recoup what was lost. Why? Because God has said. In Jesus' name, I pray that will be your story, that you can live this life. If anyone asks you why you're doing what you're doing, why you chose to stay, why you chose to go, why you chose to make that investment, why you chose to, to take on that new business, why you chose to take that promotion, why you said yes to that job, why your kid goes to that school. I pray for each of us. If we're truly going to step into the promise and miracles of God, it is, it is going to happen because we're the kind of people who answer by saying this. 
because God has said. And if God has said, then God will fulfill. And I, and I know this because I have been pressed into the promise of God in Jesus' name. And I wanted to finish this message tonight, this morning, by simply again encouraging us to do this. We're going to take a few moments right now and we're going to worship together. And we're going to take a few moments and I, and I want us to get on our knees as we worship. Get out there, we just have a bit of time just to minister. I know some of you might have to go and be in a hurry, get the kids, whatever it is. But if you can linger longer, if you can stay, stay a while, if you can truly just lean into this moment, I believe it can be a pivotal moment for you. It can be a pivotal moment for your breakthrough. It can be a pivotal moment for you stepping into all that God has for you. Would we, as we worship right now, as, as we just as we allow this to minister to us, would you get on your knees again? And would you lean into the pressing? Some of you are in the middle of it right now and you wanted to run from it. You've, you've tried to skirt it. You try to avoid it. You try to run, hide around it. You try to maneuver around it. But would you lean into it? Would you lean into the pressing? And would you again look at the foundations of the promises of God over your life? Look at the things you're believing for. In fact, because it's miracle season, because it's faith season for our church, because we believe God is more than able, I want us to first and foremost write down, write down what you're believing for. Write down what, you are, what, what you're asking God for. Write down, again, remind yourself of the word that God has given to you. Write down the promises that God has spoken to you. Write down Bible verses that have ministered to you, that have become a promise that you're holding on to. Remind your soul again of what God has said. And as you do that, would you again begin to submit those to the Lord? Get on your knees again and say, Lord, I know that these won't come to pass without a measure of pressing. And Lord, as the pressing comes, would you give me the grace? Would you give me the strength to not avoid it, to not run from it, but to lean into it, that I may come into your into alignment? Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Would you fulfill these through my life, through my obedience and through the pressing that will produce the promise out of me in Jesus' name? Let's lean into it and, and again, let's stir our faith again. And if God has spoken it, let us remind our souls, let's remind our minds, let's remind every part of ourselves that if God has spoken it, and he is faithful to bring it to completion. We are pressed for promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you this morning that as we have heard and gathered around your word, that for many of us, we would have heard it from different angles and different vantage points based on where we are. But I thank you that regardless of how this message came to us, regardless of where or what kind of season we are in right now, I'm so grateful that your word will not return void. And it will accomplish that which you wish it for it to accomplish. Lord, I thank you even this morning that as we submit to this word, as we align ourselves and align our hearts back again to your promises and back again to your word and stir our faith again to believe, I'm believing and I'm praying, Lord, for every single person right now that where they have begun to believe that the promises are too far and in and unobtainable, Lord, would you remind them again that you are the miracle-working God. For many who have forgotten and have put on the shelf or put on the backbone of promises and words that you have spoken. Lord, in this very moment, would you begin to bring them back to the fore? Would you begin to stir them again to believe that, Lord Jesus, you are still a miracle-working God, and you are not done with me yet. You are not done with us yet, Lord Jesus. And I pray that right now you are stirring their faith, not because of hype and not because of the moment, but because of a word and the word that sustains. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for many who might find themselves in the middle of the pressing, might find themselves in the middle of hardship, middle of pain, middle of loss, middle of devastation, middle of confusion. I pray, God, right now that you'd strengthen them. That, God, you'd again remind them of your sovereignty. Remind us again of your goodness and your grace. And remind us again that we are the people of God and that still means something. So would you meet us where we are? Would we find in you in this moment exactly what we need? And would we leave this place this morning with great confidence, with great clarity, and with great conviction? that you are more than able and God, you are not done with me yet. In Jesus' name.